In this episode, the founder of a company cultivating transformative experiences, but stranded in Morocco, and the bloggers caring about our impact on the world by encouraging sustainable travel. Welcome to the World Nomads podcast. We'll be keeping you up to date with travel alerts, information about coronavirus, and sharing some uplifting news and views to inspire you and keep you smiling. Hi, it's Kim and Phil with you. As the world does start to open itself up to travel again very gradually, we'll hear from Christine and Jules shortly, which includes details on their podcast, Phil, Not So Bon Voyage. It's all the stories of when travel doesn't go so well. And they're the best, aren't they? Yeah, they're the best. Um, (laughs) What's travel news? Okay, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson talking about the world opening up. Once the travel ban to the UK lifted as soon as possible, the government there is working on a new plan so that British holidaymakers can travel freely around Europe from July without the need to quarantine on their return. I think they're calling it the uh, the European corridor, the COVID corridor. Meantime, Spain has further eased lockdown measures. Florida's Disney Resort hotels will reopen this month and New Zealand has declared victory over coronavirus after its final COVID-19 patient was given the all clear. No COVID at all in the country. Awesome. Uh, Las Vegas has reopened for business. Yep, sort of, kind of. They're phasing in the opening of casinos and some will have hand-washing stations with water and towels and soap. Please use them for at least 20 seconds. And signs will suggest guests wear, should wear masks. There are no shows, no nightclubs or sporting events. People from all around Italy can travel to Venice again, while Venetians are no longer required to wear masks outside, which locals say makes it feel normalish again. Nice. Well, we'll grab some more news from you as we go, and we'll hear from Ashley about being stuck in Morocco with her tour. But right now, let's turn our attention to Jules and Christine, the team behind Don't Forget to Move. They're full-time travel bloggers from opposite sides of the world, so let's kick off and find out how they met. So we met when we were both traveling solos through South America and we both decided to volunteer at an organization in Pisco, Peru, helping out um, after the earthquake down there. And we met while volunteering together and volunteered together for about six months and then just continued traveling together. And that was back in 2012. So we've just continued the life of travel as a couple now and been to a lot of places around the world. Yeah, this is it. This is life. Uh, We made the transition. We started our travel blog and our travel content creation and everything that's involved with that probably back in mid-2013. It took a few years to get started, but within the last four years, that's what we've been doing full-time, traveling around the world. We have a couple of bases that we like to sort of work out of, so Bali and come back to San Francisco and Melbourne. But other than that, we're on the road full-time working in travel. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty good life apart from now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not a great time to be in the travel industry, is it? So your blog is called Don't Forget to Move. How has it been affected or your income? We definitely haven't forgot to move, but we're definitely not moving at the moment. So (laughs) with travel basically all but stopping within a week over here in the US, it really just kind of pulled the rug out from underneath all the trips we had for the rest of the year planned, all of our own travel plans and yeah, it pretty much just stopped overnight. So all the trips that all the brands and the companies and destinations that we had planned to work with in the coming six months all had to postpone those trips. All the other um, partnerships and stuff like that that we had organized, 
as well. Just as budgets became a lot tighter and travel became unknown, everything just got put on permanent hold. And it's pretty much where we are at the moment, just waiting in limbo for the travel industry to kick back up again. Jules, are you thinking of um, other things to do outside of this travel uh, travel blog or are you literally just waiting for things to start back up again so you can re- resume knife knife resume life as normal yeah we've, we've always got something we're always working on something on the side uh, we've been putting a lot more time into our travel podcast which has been good because it's allowed us to continue talking about travel and staying in the travel space without having to physically travel so that's been handy and we've got a couple of other business ideas that were always floating around but it's I guess everything in general is a little bit uncertain at the moment. I'm kind of jealous of your podcast. (laughs) It is called Not So Bomb Voyage. It's all about the stuff that goes wrong on the roads. Now, we've done a couple of episodes where we've shared stories of things that have gone wrong on the road. But as Jules said, you've been able to focus your attention on your your podcast and tell those stories. Where do they come from? So we tell stories that we find um, from friends, from other travel bloggers, from stories from the news, all sorts of stories, books and movies, but all true stories of when things go wrong while traveling which we find to be, they make the best stories, right? You don't come home and tell all your friends and family about the time that everything went perfectly when you were out (laughs) traveling the world. You tell them about the time that your bus broke down or you had your camera stolen or something crazy happened. Those always make the best stories. And we found that they're like with social media and Instagram and everything, there was this skew trend towards the glamorous side of travel where everything is picture perfect and you're on a gorgeous beach and no one else is there and everything, it just looks wonderful. But everyone who's traveled knows that there's the other side of that where it's like you're hiking down to this beach and you're sweaty and there's probably a million people there and somebody's trying to sell you something, you know, like that's just the real side of traveling. So we wanted to bring that to the forefront and just chat with people about that and tell stories of when things go wrong in the road, because that's more interesting in our opinion. Back to your blog. And on that, you talk about sharing the beautiful photographs and and videos, and we're not talking about Insta-perfect photos here, but those photographs and videos that show the the world just how incredible a place is. Have you guys been amazed how since the world stopped because of the pandemic, how different the planet looks so quickly? Oh, it's it's really incredible when you see the satellite images of pollution and you see the river samples and, and all those sorts of things. And you see, even just in this short amount of time, nature coming back and thriving and, and animal species. And it really does highlight the huge impact that humans have on the world that it can happen in within a few months, which I think is, that is probably the more staggering thing. It's not so much the what's changed, it's just how quickly it can change. And it really does show you how much, like even just pulling back a little bit, and not putting the world under so much strain, how much of a positive impact it can have on people, places, environment, animals, everything. Yeah, I think that if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's just how globally connected we all are. I mean, this thing spread incredibly fast because people do travel so much and they move so much and it was you know, just so viral, of course. 
And that just goes to show how much of an impact one person can have on literally the entire world. And that can be a good thing and that can be a really bad thing. So I think it's a really uh, great time for every individual to kind of take a step back and think about their impact, you know, whether that's through travel or their daily, you know, what they do in their daily life, how they get to work, um, everything. How they choose to eat, what products they choose to buy, who, what companies they like choose to buy things off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is just a great moment, especially for travelers to think, okay, this, the world is having a chance to regrow and to take a breather essentially. And eventually we will be able to start traveling again. So how can I reduce my impact when I do go back out in the world and start exploring? What, what are some uh, changes I can make to have not even just less of a negative impact, but actually a positive impact when you go traveling? And that's something we really focus on with our blog. Well, you speak to the same um, audience as world nomads. You know, they're people that um, are conscious of being sustainable, uh, of sustainable travel and being ethical when you're traveling, supporting local grassroots businesses, uh, leaving no footprint. So there is this sector that is already doing that. But do you think even you guys are going to rethink the impact that your trips have? Do, am I making sense, Jules? Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. I mean, we do we do put a lot of work and a lot of effort into uh, planning our trips and trying to be make sure that we're as sustainable as possible. But we're not perfect and we definitely don't try to pretend that we're perfect on Instagram and we're not, you know, like we try to keep it pretty real with everything that we post. And that's a really good question. I guess, I don't know, Christine? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I it, so. It, it, it's funny because I would say we definitely are at one end of the spectrum in terms of how we travel sustainably. And luckily, it's a growing trend. There's more and more, especially like young people, very interested in sustainable travel. Um, And we've seen that in trends from Google searches onto our blog, that this is a topic that people are interested in. They want to do the research and do their homework so they can have a more positive impact. But even us who do a pretty good job, like we can always do better. And sometimes it's hard to look at your actions and your what you've done in the past under that microscope and think, okay, I probably made the wrong decision here, or you know, I probably could have done better there, and have have that um, self criticism. But yes, we could definitely be doing better. I mean, things like taking less flights, doing more overland travel, and things like that, and just making better choices every day. You know, complete reduction of plastic would probably be something that we would like to strive for. But yeah, sometimes it's hard to actually look at yourself under that criticism and think, I, you know, I could have made better choices in the past, but all you can do is try to be better in the future when you start traveling again. Yeah. Well, this is, it's given us time, just like the world is taking its time to regroup. It's giving us time as travelers to regroup as well and not just be continually moving and moving and moving. It's giving us that reflection, that downtime to look back on our travels and, and ask that same question, like how, how can we be more sustainable? How can we more, be more efficient with our travel? How are you guys going in San Francisco with itchy feet? Yeah, definitely. This is, the, <laughs> this is our time that we're usually in Bali uh, or, or going back to Australia, especially during the winter. So we, we definitely like to chase the summer and that's one of the benefits of working online and working in travel that we can just bounce around and you know, follow the sun. And so this, the weather's starting to warm up now in San Francisco, so that's definitely helping us. 
but we're, we're ready to hit the road again. I think it's almost like the idea of that we can't travel is making it even worse. So we're not choosing to be here. Sometimes we've had times where we've been at home for two or three months just working on projects and taking a break. But now it's that we can't travel and there's kind of no certain future date. It makes us even more a little bit anxious about hitting the road. We were lucky that right before this lockdown, we actually just came back from a two and a half month van trip through Canada, which was amazing. Very cold, but amazing. So we got our, our, we got the travel bug in right before this all came down. We literally came back to the Bay Area. And I think three days later, we yeah, were in quarantine. The million dollar or billion dollar question that we have been asking our guests is how you see travel moving forward. We've touched, touched on it a little bit based on your own reflections, but how do you see it uh, as a whole? Honestly, I feel like travel will just go back to normal. I just, I feel like humans are just so habitual and they just fall back, can just fall back into past routines. And I think that I could just see travel going back to how it was. I think that it will change the way people think about how they maybe interact with each other. And I think that that might take a little bit longer to go back to normal. I just think it will sort of slowly phase back in. So maybe group tours and things like that and really popular destinations might be hardest hit first. But I think that once people get the opportunity to travel again, I, I could see it back, back to normal. Hopefully, eventually it goes back to normal. I think in the short term, there will probably be uh, more restrictions on limiting the amount of people that get to visit an attraction one day or go to a park in one day or something like that just to uh, reduce the chance of crowds and, you know, so many people so close together. And obviously that could be a really big, very problematic for the spread of Corona. So, which will kind of be a good thing for these locations, because one of the biggest problems with traveling and sustainability is the impact of so many people visiting one place day in and day out. And a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily respect the boundaries and they go off trail or they go where they're not supposed to. And that can have a huge impact on the ecology of an area and the animal species and in local communities as well. So hopefully this is kind of a positive that comes out of it where they restrict the number of people at certain locations and those places can start to go back to how they should be naturally. A very timely thought, Christine. Now, Phil, you mentioned Venice as we got into the chat with the guys. You've got an example of what Christine described as respecting boundaries. Oh, yeah. Look, Venice was the centre of attention when the pandemic was declared and all the tourists and cruise ships disappeared. Remember, all the water in the canals became clear and dolphins were spotted. But the almost pristine waters were too much for two German tourists who couldn't resist a dip in the canals. <laughs> It was an expensive one too. They both got fined 395 euros each and then banned from the city for 48 hours. That's an expensive swim. Seriously. And what would make them think that they could do it? I don't, you you, I, you've got, I don't you've get, got an answer to that. I don't have an answer to that. Well, why, like, why would you think that's okay? Yeah, stupidity. Anyway, Ashley Blake is the founder of Traverse Journeys. We will have links in show notes. Ashley reached out after hearing our chat with Julie from Venus Adventures, who said the first people lining up to travel will be those trying to get home. And this is true. Ashley has found herself stuck in Morocco. 
Yeah, absolutely. She talked about, you know, the segment of travel that's stuck. I believe she's from New Zealand and she lives in Egypt. And um, that's when everything hit. And there she is until she can get back to Egypt. I think like here in Morocco, you know, borders close really quickly with really no option of getting in or out or having time to make decisions. So what was the story? So you were just going to Morocco for a trip and the borders closed? No, (laughs) I wish it was that simple. Um, Do you want me to go ahead and kind of give you the the story of what happened? Perfect. Yeah. So I am the founder of Traverse Journeys and we do trips, as I think you know, to about 25 countries across the world. And we had our Morocco trip with the departure starting March 8th. And I, I've been basing out of Denmark. So I was coming in from Copenhagen and I came in March 7th and things like there was kind of Italy was happening at the time. You know, of course, China had already been happening, but there didn't seem to be any issue with, with um, Morocco. And so all of the clients we came and we met and we started our trip. We were out in the Sahara desert. And it's kind of interesting because I've, I've been to Morocco multiple times and in the Sahara, you really just don't have, you know, cell phone reception or internet or anything like that. So the, the 48 hours that I was off the grid, you know, you always say to yourself, like, what really can happen in 48 hours? Well, like the world can actually fall apart <laughs> in 48 hours. I came out of the desert with like dozens and dozens of messages about, you know, borders closing and everything that was happening. And so we had a group of, I think altogether 14 of us. So we, we got back to Marrakesh to assess the situation. The first thing that really happened was that the Morocco had stopped all the flights to Spain and most of the clients were flying through Spain because they were leaving out of Tangier. And so we scrambled to get everyone rebooked flying out of Casablanca, like five days later, I think the date at this point was like March 14th. And so we continued on, you know, adjusting our itinerary a little bit here and there, but it felt like every six or eight hours, we would get some new news in Morocco about like um, restrictions on vehicles. Like one of the mornings we showed up and my driver had an extra van for us that we didn't need. And he was like, yeah, we can only have, I think it was four people per car or something like that. So like moment by moment, there were these changes and by the time we were in the Rift Mountains in Shafshawan, which is this gorgeous little blue, it's called the Blue Pearl, a little city, if you've ever been there. Morocco had pretty close to shut down at that point, and we were almost the only ones in the in the city. And this is where just like the spirit of hospitality in Morocco just absolutely blows me away. Like our hotel partners that we've worked with for years, and um, they made sure all of the clients had a place to stay you know, made sure that because the restaurants were closed, they brought a chef in to cook for us. Same within Fez, because we're in Fez before that, like just incredible hospitality and making sure everyone was taken care of. So we as a group decided to go to Rabat, thinking that a U.S. repatriation flight um, would most likely fly out of Casablanca. It was really hard to tell because at that point, um, they were shutting down all the flights. We had three gals with us from Mexico, and they were able to get actually across the the strait into Spain because Mexico repatriated that way. So that was really wild for them taking a ferry in the middle of the night 
And so the rest of the group, us camping out in Rabat, we found a place just to stay because at this point our actual tour was, was over. So it became a matter of like, how do we get everyone home? How do we get everyone repatriated? And on, I think it was March 19th, in the middle of the night, the U.S. Embassy sent a, a message out because we had put everyone on a list for a repatriation flight flying out like the next day. And you had to be in Marrakesh by like 3.30 in the afternoon. So I was scrambled. I called my driver who had already gone home across the mountains. He turned right back around gathered everyone up, got to Marrakesh like just in time. I think we got there at like three in the afternoon. And so um, I, I'm just really amazed. We had such an incredible group, all of the clients, and this is a yoga trip as well. So our yoga instructor, everyone just really banded together. And even though people were, were anxious and wasn't sure you know, what was going to be happening or going on, the spirit of just like resilience and togetherness to me was just absolutely astounding. But I decided to stay in Morocco because I'm in the middle of residency, but I don't have residency yet. And so they were only accepting citizens and residents back. And so by that point, March 20th, Morocco had already closed its borders. Denmark had closed its borders to accept for residents and citizens. And so I really had no choice. It didn't make a lot of sense for me to go back to the United States. So I found a place here in Marrakesh and I have been there since. There aren't enough namastes that I could muster for what would happen when you're actually hosting a tour and that kind of (laughs) global incident happens. How stressful was it? You know, it was, to be honest, it was very stressful. Like my, I kind of had these different layers going on because my number one concern was keeping myself calm and cool and collected because I didn't want to do anything that would make the clients more anxious than they already were. So I had to take lots of moments for myself to just like regroup and just breathe because while I was taking care of clients, I was also watching my entire business implode because we had other you know, departures soon to happen in Peru and other places in the world. So we were getting, you know, inundated with emails about like upcoming trips and wanting, you know, people wanting to know what was going on. And so I have, I have a business partner back in the States, Laura. So we really kind of divided and conquered. I kind of went entirely offline because I just couldn't, couldn't handle, like we had to change our social media because of course, you know, we couldn't not address what was going on, sending out newsletters Uh, taking care of booked clients on other trips, talking with partners. So we had a whole bunch of internal things going on while at the same time I was, you know, in the very real physical environment of of being with the clients and kind of step-by-step making sure everyone got food, you know, making sure people were comfortable having a place to sleep, working with, like I had said, like our drivers to make sure that we could get where we needed to be when we needed to, when we needed to be there. So yeah, lots of layers. There's so many people still stranded all around the world. I had had a ticket back to Copenhagen originally June 6th. It got moved to June 15th, and now it's been moved to July 1st. So, And how's that? I mean, the airlines are being accommodating for you. They're sort of letting you change that? Um, <laughs> I would say yes and no. Uh, the, unfortunately, I've lost a lot of money on, on flights. Um, because I also had rebooked our yoga instructor's flight with Royal Air Maroc, and they're doing like a voucher system, but it's quite complicated because it's only for the person on the trip or like the passenger, but I paid for it. So it's kind of like 
it's not a voucher that is very usable. But it's tough though. Like I think, Ashley, you've got a team member in the US that's from Croatia. I'm assuming these people aren't getting incomes. The gal in Croatia, I could, there are also kind of a lot of aspects to that. So one of the gals that she, her name's Alex, and she does SEO work for us. And she's also our host for our Croatia trip. She's American, but she's lived in Croatia, I think like four or five years now. I mean, she lives with her boyfriend. They both work in tourism. They have a dog and a house. They live on his parents' property. So she's full on life there. And she was with us in Morocco and when all of this hit, she couldn't get back to Croatia because the flights were through Istanbul and Morocco had canceled the flights to Turkey. So her real only option was to go ahead and repatriate back to the United States. So she's with her mom. Um, but now she's been away from her just normal life and family. I mean, she just had kind of like um, Julie from Venus, you know, she just had like a suitcase of clothes. She didn't even have her computer with her. So she's kind of had to adjust and be in the States, you know, waiting for Croatia and the EU to um, whatever the border openings end up happening that way because of just the way she needs to be able to get back to Croatia. What's your view about the near future? (laughs) That's a great question. You know, I'm I'm definitely an optimist in general, um, but I think this this situation has forced me to also look at things in some, you know, real hardcore ways because they are talking a two to three year recovery period for tourism. And when I look at our partners on the ground in places like here in Morocco or in Peru, like the guides and the porters and the family run, you know, B&Bs and restaurants, it's really devastating because like that is their sole source of income. And so you know, the options are slim and a lot of those partners will be forced to do something different. One of our favorite restaurants in Croatia and Zagreb that we use, it's a really nice restaurant had to close because they just can't stay open. You know, it's, it's high tourism season and going on a few months of no, no business. And, um, so I do see a lot changing um, in, in the future in travel, you know, both on just like the partnership side because we have to we do have to make so many changes as far as hygiene goes um we already do a lot of itineraries in nature but i think that we're going to be doing a lot more of that in nature and in getting out in open spaces so from the point of like over tourism i think there can be some silver linings for sure to like reduce the stress on on cities and regions that have a lot of tourism from the client side of things i mean we kind of i feel like there's two camps of people there's there's the ones that maybe didn't travel all that much to begin with and now they have perfectly valid concerns but like health concerns or just like they're just like going domestic but there's also i think others that are just chomping at the bit and are ready to get out there again you know i think it's it is going to be more of a hassle in terms of like the airports and the experience of getting places um but i am optimistic that it will take some time, but it will pick up again. And I really hope like those of us in the like adventure travel and small group travel and people to people can find the opportunities to continue to have the impact that we still want to, because so much of our business is, is based on um, sustainable development through tourism. So that's kind of like the really challenging part. Like how can we continue to have those sustainable uh, development efforts especially in developing parts of the world when we can't 
travel right now. So we're addressing that for sure. Thanks for that insight, Ashley, and best of luck getting on that flight, by the way. She's keen enough. I think she will. There are thousands of people still stranded around the world as the death toll from the virus continues to rise at the time of recording this. More than 100,000 Americans have died. And as the Black Lives Matter human rights movement continues, the mortality rate for black patients is reportedly 2.4 times higher than for white Americans. Very sad. To get in touch with your stories or your feedback, email podcast at worldnomads.com. Our next episode, Social Distancing While Enjoying Life on the Road, our special episode on RVing coming up. Oh, I can't wait. Bye. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.